0: Hey, gearheads, and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host, Corey, and I just want to say Merry Christmas. We are, as I like to say, here at Christmas Adam, Christmas Eve Eve. Adam comes before Eve. So here we are on the cusp of Christmas 2022, and I have got a very exciting episode for you, at least I think so, spending almost 12 years of my life as an analyst and somebody who absolutely loves cars, speaking with Sam Fiorani about numbers and about cars and about the future of the automotive industry. He is an analyst and is looking past 2030, which is where many automakers say is their drop dead deadline to be all electric. So He has a lot of insight and more so than myself and what we can see reading Car and Driver and Motor Trend and going to GTGarageTalk.com as to what the future of the industry looks like. And, you know, the players and what the shift in the dynamic of the industry is going to be over the next 10 plus years. And so uh, we just really do have a great conversation. We do talk a lot of electric, brace yourself, uh, for a lot of EV talk in this week's episode. But again, talking future of the industry, that's kind of where we're going. So it's unavoidable, unfortunately. And then, of course, as per usual, when I interview guests here on the podcast, especially new guests, uh, we'll close out with a little bit of fun in our random misfire. But you didn't come here to listen to me ramble. You came to hear a genuine discussion about all things automotive. And with that, I welcome on Sam Fiorani. Sam, it is so great to have you on the podcast for Christmas this week and uh, talk cars and kind of dig into your background a little. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. So we, we've we got just numerous different directions we could go. We've got uh, some conversations you and I've had online that we could cover. But first, before we dig into any of that, uh, why don't we kind of level set and give our listeners a, an idea of where you come from in the automotive industry, what it is you do and and, and
1: your perspective, so to speak. I've been an analyst for the automotive industry for the last 25 years. Uh, I currently work for auto forecast solutions where I'm in charge of the global vehicle forecasting. Okay. It's my job to track every vehicle around the world, every plant, uh, for the next eight years, oh my goodness, and uh, and we we even have a, a a side forecast where we go out another six. So we're looking at we're looking at vehicles through through twenty thirty five at the moment. Holy
0: cow! So uh, I fully foresee us talking about the EV future uh, at some point <laughs> in this podcast because uh, that is well past many automakers' uh, all EV deadline or their beginning stages, but. As a former analyst myself, like I'm a numbers nerd, I, I love it. We've had Ed Kim from Auto Pacific on, and we've talked numbers. So I, I don't want to get too nerdy for our audience here, but I can
1: definitely foresee
0: us digging into uh, the
1: minutia of the industry
0: just a little bit.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's 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 what I do. I've I've always been a numbers guy, and uh, uh, I worked. I've like I said, 25 years doing this. I. I wrote car repair manuals prior to that. Okay. I have uh, had a little bit of forays into uh, analysts as a, as an analyst in uh, consumer products. Okay. But. Uh, Cars are my background. I've I've been a car person since I could speak. Okay,
0: uh, I, I'm not f- too far behind you there. I waited till I was a grand old age of nine before I really got into things. But <laughs> uh, you know, come at all ages. Uh, I've got a good friend, the vehicle nanny, who uh, is nurturing that love and passion for vehicles, whatever the age may be. But let's let's dig into things a little bit. We are in at the crossroads of the automotive industry. I know I've gotten much hate online for my EV posts, particularly the F-150 Lightning. We are at the dawn of the electric revolution. We've seen it coming for a while now. What are your thoughts from where you sit and the things that you're seeing from your vantage point on where the industry is going?
1: The electric vehicles coming. and There's no doubt about it, and we're going to see a, a large number of manufacturers switching from ICES, from internal combustion engines, to uh, EVs over the next 15 years or so. It's going to take a while before the whole infrastructure builds up. We've been we've been building an ICE ind- infrastructure for uh, 125, 130 <laughs> yes. years, so it's it's not going to go like you know overnight but we're gonna build this infrastructure up with uh, new suppliers, with uh, charging stations, with uh, manufacturing. It, it's gonna take a long time to do this, but as the regulations require uh, less polluting engines, mm-hmm. you're gonna see this come faster. We're gonna have more hybridization, more fully electric vehicles. It's gonna happen relative to the, the growth of the ICE. It's gonna happen very quickly, but it's it's still gonna be over 15 to 20 years before uh, any manufacturer becomes any global right. full range manufacturer becomes fully EV. Yeah.
0: So we've got brands like Lexus, which is the luxury arm of Toyota. We've got brands like Cadillac, the luxury arm of General Motors, divisions of companies saying all electric or all electrified, depending on you know how the winds blow the day they are speaking. And uh, but to see a full portfolio where it's nothing but electric from some manufacturers that have been over a hundred years, you you see that still a couple decades
1: off at least, right? Well, at least one, at least mm-hmm. at, at least ten years out before we see any si- sizable brand changing over. We're going to see Volvo. We're going to see. We'll likely see Cadillac outside of the Escalade mm-hmm. uh, changing over to EV in this decade. The great thing about electric vehicles is that. When you get to the the performance end of a vehicle, ICES do a very good job. But once you get to a certain power level, the emissions go through the roof. So you can't really keep up with all the laws and keeping the cars clean and keeping the fuel economy low, fuel economy high enough to to sell them without going EV, without at least going hybrid. Right. And so we're going to see a lot of these performance brands that. You know, brands like Ferrari, where nobody takes a Ferrari on a cross country tour. Right. right. So you're gonna see companies like Ferrari and, and Lamborghini and and the really high-end performance companies switch probably first, uh, completely first. That way, because they can get the performance that you cannot get out of an ICE. You know, how many ICEs can you name that can do zero to sixteen under two seconds? Yeah. Well, there are, you know, a handful of EVs that can, and uh, and there will be more.
0: Well, uh, Jason Kamisa over at Haggerty recently put that to the test with the Lucid uh, Sapphire and the Model S Plaid and even uh, a Ducati two-wheel vehicle trying to best uh, the newest, latest, and greatest when it comes to EV performance. It is getting just a little bit absurd. (laughs) And the thought that Uh, these prices could come down to where, you know, quote-unquote normal people have that level of performance is a little scary to me. I don't know about you, but... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I know people that... shouldn't even be in like a 400 horsepower internal combustion car, much less something that can do zero to
1: 60 in under two seconds. I I know people who shouldn't be driving a hundred horsepower car. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm all for the autonomous future for other people to drive them (laughs) because I want them off my streets. Yes. so There are benefits to all of this and
0: it's just all, all in how it plays out. Who, ops to buy what but yes there are absolutely people out there that i'm like no no you, you don't
1: need that please stay away stay clear <laughs> I, I remember it wasn't that long ago when like the dodge neon could do zero to sixty in under seven seconds which was unheard of for a car that cost ten thousand dollars right and i'm thinking you know these people shouldn't be driving that fast <laughs> and now we're you know we have normal cars that can do half that time right uh, that's incredible i mean the prius is even doing that now so <laughs> the fact that's right
0: right uh with uh, totally not performance intentions is uh, to that level now is something to behold and just to see how the industry has changed uh over 20 30 40 years has been quite ridiculous and uh it, it's been interesting to see for me like i grew up my Uh, heyday so to speak were uh, the 90s and 2000s american v8 powered and i remember like five and a half seconds zero to 60 was like the number and now like that's considered slow by every metric out there and and it's just ridiculous i think we are getting to the point i know we are getting to the point especially you know i mentioned the lucid sapphire where Uh, the incremental gains for the price that you're having to pay for it are just absolutely ridiculous, but that will trickle down. And uh, the limitations really now are on the tire companies to make a tire that can actually withstand all of it. So, yeah. Well,
1: that's that's the thing about an electric vehicle is it's more digital than analog where I I always consider an ICE more analog and the, the ability of an electric vehicle to sense the road more accurately and stay in contact with the road to get every 10th out of that zero to 60 time. It, it, the potential is, is fantastic to, to be able to do that for all four wheels, mm-hmm. to make sure that all four wheels are sticking to the ground and getting you that w- another 10th, another uh, quarter second uh, down the line to zero to 60 or a quarter mile. I think the potential is en- enormous. But like you said, when uh, my, my timeline starts with the, when the Corvette hit 300 horsepower, oh yeah, and that was such a big deal that I, you could uh, you know a fifty thousand dollar car at the time was 300 horsepower. That's amazing. And now you know Toyota Camrys have just shy of 300 horsepower, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's nothing anymore.
0: Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And so uh, that that kind of lends me to like from your perspective, uh, what brands are set up best for this future climate i know general motors has kind of taken the let's let current product not not a suffer is kind of harsh word but more or less rot on the vine (laughs) so to speak for sake of the electrified future and they've gambled more on future product and kind of let modern product do its thing and run its course uh, we've got Hyundai, Genesis, Kia out there, absolutely, in my opinion, killing it with uh, charging technology and just in-vehicle technology. But what brand, from your perspective, is really set up best for this new
1: age? You're not too far off on on the future, uh, the future of the ICE. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of money being invested in brand new engines, and uh, you know, transmissions had basically come to. 10 speeds right. and you're not going to go much further than that you you start losing uh efficiency after about 10 speeds so and you've got um, brands like Ford and GM partnering together to make a
0: 10 speed that's when you know something's up <laughs> and it's like well,
1: yeah w- when uh, when the the DNA of a vehicle is more the engine than the transmission mm-hmm. it made sense for companies to to collude on the the things like uh transmission je- uh, engineering and uh putting a 10 speed in Ford's NGMs, it's it makes sense and it costs them less. It makes the, the whole product more efficient to build. Okay. But as we transition to uh, to EVs, uh, the bigger companies are gonna be better prepared because they have more money to spend on it. The, the Mazdas of the world, the Subarus of the world are gonna to have to rely on somebody bigger. Mm-hmm. But uh, General Motors, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Ford, these companies have all, all the resources that they could muster to put towards this. And they're gonna spend, billions of dollars over the next five to 10 years to make that first step into making EV plants, uh, generating the, the new drivetrains that they need and then building the battery facilities. Uh, it's going to, it's going to take a ton of money, but it, the bigger companies will allow the technology to trickle down to the smaller companies.
0: Well, what's been really interesting to me is a quote unquote, relatively small player like Hyundai, uh, being so far ahead of major players like Toyota and Honda who kind of got caught looking the wrong direction. Honda decided to partner with GM uh, for the immediate and the foreseeable future, but will be doing their own thing. And then Toyota is just now saying, Oh yeah, we, we better step it up past the Prius. Like there, there's gotta be more to it than that. So Very interesting for the Korean automaker to... um, I I feel like they've been reading Toyota's playbook for a while now with spinning off Genesis like Toyota did with Lexus in the 90s. So, I don't know. I I foresee the future landscape being impacted greatly by brands that saw the writing on the wall, like Genesis. And then we've got Vietnamese company VinFast, which... uh, I keep hearing more and more about them. I saw them at LA two years in a row. So
1: interesting stuff on the horizon. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Hyundai's bigger than you think. Have, mm-hmm. Just because Hyundai is newer, mm-hmm. uh, they literally have only been building cars for the last uh, 50, 55 years. Right. And their own cars were about uh, 48. I think it was the early 70s when they built the first car. But just because they're young does not mean they're small. They Hyundai, between the combination of Hyundai and Kia, is uh, in the, definitely in the top ten of global manufacturers, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I believe depending on how you count it, they may be in the top five. Wow. Um, it's a large company backed by a lot of money, and uh, the, the Korean cables have a lot of money tied up in, like the the Japanese uh, Kiruzus. They they have a lot of money across a lot of industries and. Automotive is one of those focal industries for for any country. Right. If you, you've made it as a country, if you have your own auto manufacturer. Uh, but uh, Hyundai, Kia is South Korea's Toyota. It's their General Motors. It's their Volkswagen. Uh, and they see this as the future. A lot of established, a lot of growing companies see uh, being on the cutting edge of electric vehicles as the way to grow their business. And you see that in China because all the major Chinese companies are focusing on the EV side because that's going to get that's going to make them a player when they begin exporting in large numbers. Um, and Korea just sees that as their next step. their Their first step was getting in as a cheap car, their second step was making a quality product. Their next step is making an electric vehicle and and they're well on their way to do that.
0: Yeah, they have absolutely been killing it. In um, my summation of the entire uh, industry, they've uh, it seems like they've been rolling out win after win after win. So uh, big kudos to them. they very focused
1: it- on, on what they're doing, and they've been they've been focused on that for for in the U.S. market for at least twenty years, yeah. where they've concentrated on making sure that the the product is there, the quality is there. They they up their styling game. They up their powertrain game, and now they're uh, moving into electric vehicles. It's 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 definitely the the playbook that everybody else should be reading now. Yeah,
0: which I, you know I brought up General Motors. I'm a GM fanboy. It's the Camaro that brought me into loving vehicles. I'm wearing my Team Corvette shirt as we speak. So obviously, I, I have a love for all things General Motors, and a couple weeks back we i spoke with again the vehicle nanny on the podcast about the electric corvette and the sub brand there and now there are rumors of a an escalade sub brand and a camaro subbrand in the electrified realm uh, and as we sit here and record i've released my first video summarizing my thoughts and opinions on the 2023 gas-powered cadillac escalade so very interesting, uh, just couple of weeks worth of news rolling out of General Motors. Again, wanting to see these heritage nameplates carried forward uh, in Camaro, in Corvette, in Escalade. What are your thoughts there on all these sub-brands that the General is doing to follow up with the
1: Hummer sub-brand under GMC? General Motors had a ton of sub-brands. of brands just 20 years ago. <laughs> I and remember, and it kind of led to their demise. And they were spread way too thin, you yeah. know, between uh, the Opals and the Holdens and the Pontiacs and the everybody else, they just had too much going on. Uh, the idea of spinning off Corvette as a sub-brand is a great idea. Uh, the idea that people buy Teslas because it's a great electric vehicle is it, it, kind of bogus because it's it's a it is a great electric vehicle, but that's not why people buy it it's a it's a great vehicle compared to what was available at the time right. for the price it just happens to be electric right and they have built this aura around tesla that you know porsche had back in the 70s and bmw mm-hmm. had back in the 80s it's that it it shows more about the owner than mm-hmm. the product itself and so the the tesla image that has come up with that is hard to to duplicate on someone else. And Ford saw it and said, "We're going to make a Mustang electric." Mm-hmm. And so they piggyback 50 years of of Mustang history and put it into an electric vehicle and suddenly it has its own aura as it comes out the gate. Right. So now you don't you're not guessing what it is. It's not another Ford electric vehicle. It is suddenly a Mustang and you take it already with an image.
0: Right.
1: Tesla built its image over the last 20 years and General Motors has Corvette. It's a it's an established image for the last 70 years. Right. So if you take that name, which in itself wouldn't likely die off if you did not make it electric. Right. You're, there's, you're only gonna get another decade, maybe 15 years out of an ICE performance vehicle, especially with the performance that's coming up on EVs. It, it's, it's gonna fall behind everybody else if you don't make it electrified somehow and taking that name and putting it onto a whole series of performance oriented electric vehicles makes sense and now you have a one-to-one against tesla you have an image and a product that can go against tesla whereas you're never going to sell a bolt to a guy who's going to buy a (laughs) model three right you know these things aren't going to happen so bringing the image with corvette with it suddenly brings you onto that that level now and you can you can go head to head with with the number one player in the market
0: now, I've, I've conversed with many a Corvette owner and uh, been part of several different Corvette clubs. Some are struggling with the idea of the C8 Corvette, that the engine's in the wrong spot. Uh, we've got rumors. We've seen uh, spy shots and Chevys teased us with some stuff about the hybrid E-Ray Corvette, which is even more blasphemy. I mean, we still have people that are... Uh, mourning the loss of the pop-up up up and down headlights uh, as they've been come to be called in uh, the c5 to c6 transition so just in the past 20 years corvette owners have had to deal with a lot of change and a lot of loss of tradition Uh, you and i were talking a little offline about the production of these future corvettes you know bowling green is now the synonymous home for the corvette where they are all made but As we expand out and use the Ultium electric platform and go to all electric and possibly an SUV, these quote unquote Corvette faithful are really having to like gulp it down that all the change that has come to their beloved uh, nameplate. Does it water down what Corvette is when you make an SUV with the Corvette badge on it? Have you seen that with Mustang? from what,
1: what you have that potential you have the potential of watering down the image you know uh I, I was a big jaguar fan and when jaguar started spreading out between their core models back when they had a sedan and a coupe mm-hmm. and then they started coming out with a smaller sedan and then a smaller sedan and a station wagon and an suv and all this other stuff you're like aren't you watering down that brand mm-hmm. but the image is still there it's still a performance vehicle as long as you keep the 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 core dna of the brand as long as a corvette is still performance oriented uh porsche did the same thing when yes. the cayenne came out how many faithful just said no no no! <laughs> not only is the engine not in the right place now it's got four doors and four-wheel drive and it sits that high how can that be a porsche and you know the cayenne and the Macan are the two top selling porsche models they have and so it has made
0: the 911 even more it's funded the 911 basically.
1: No, absolutely. No, it it pays for your the one that, you know, like I said, the Corvette will die on the vine if you don't do something to it. Mm-hmm. They each generation of Corvette has been better than the last and the the engineers themselves have said that the last generation Corvette was as far as they could go with the front engine design. Mm-hmm. They needed to move to the rear engine to move to the next level. And the the last Corvette was a spectacular vehicle. Yeah. That's the only way you can go is to move up to to progress forward, and uh, electric electrifying it at least with the e-ray, that will be the next step for the coupe. But you're gonna have to see electric vehicles, and like I said, it, tailoring the taking the name as long as you don't dilute it by making it a knockoff of the bolt or uh, you know something lesser <laughs> yes. than what the Corvette should be then they should be able to do this. And with uh, Mach-E's, they sell for sixty and $70,000. These are not entry-level vehicles. Right. And just like the Corvette, the Mustang would wither away if you didn't do something to keep up with the times. So you know we're on our last generation of fully ICE Mustangs. And from the stuff that we've seen relatively recently, the next generation is likely to be a fully electric Mustang. So yeah. we're... We're at the end of the performance for the ICE. You can't get any further without damaging the emissions, without getting terrible gas mileage, without uh, messing with the uh, the longevity of the engine. But you know, it's so easy to put an electric powertrain in it. You don't have to deal with emissions. You don't have to deal with all these things, and it has fewer parts. so yeah. it it should be more reliable. Do
0: you see a future where there are, Maybe it's even a a boutique-type manufacturer or just a vehicle line that maintains internal combustion for those just unwilling to let go of the past or uh, does it wither and die completely? What Calm our fears or help us brace for the future here. Like Dodge, for example, when Dodge of all companies is – producing an electric vehicle with a, a weird exhaust sound to brace us for the
1: future. Is it truly ending? The, 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 big problem with the Hemi engine is that it is a dirty engine to start with. Right. You know, it, and, and I always, I always bring up the number that, uh, the emissions from a modern car are roughly 1% of what they were in 1970. Wow. Modern cars are clean, right. But they still spew a lot of dirt. So, getting that last little bit of, of emissions out of there is is the next step and you have to do that from electrification. Uh the hemi on a, on the scale of all the engines available now is a dirty engine. Mm. It's a performance engine, it's fun to drive, it's got a lot of things going for it. It's relatively efficient for fuel economy for the amount of power it puts out. It makes great. But noise. it's still dirty. Yeah. So so making that leap is is a great idea for Dodge. Um it's going to be very difficult to keep an ICE company, even a, even a model going, simply because emissions regulations are going to tighten up to the point where it, it'll squeeze it out. It'll make it too expensive to build. Um, it'll be too expensive to just get past emissions regulations. Uh, unless they come up with, I, I, I really like the idea of synthetic fuels, uh, and the idea of, uh, Uh, hydrogen as a fuel for an internal combustion engine Mm -hmm. i like these ideas they should be cleaner than a a gas-powered vehicle uh they do have issues but they should be cleaner well toyota Uh, especially if you can make them affordable
0: yeah toyota i don't want to say they're going all in but that that was the direction they were headed uh in hydrogen that kind of got them caught more or less off guard with full electrification because they saw hydrogen as the future. And outside of California, you've got no options here in the States. So, uh, is that a viable option in the future? Do you see, I mean, with one of the world's, if not the world's current largest automaker, betting big on hydrogen, shouldn't that be somewhat of
1: the future? Uh, hydrogen is likely the future, but it is way down the line. Okay. We have to find a, a cheap, easy, and clean way to make hydrogen to mm-hmm. to get it out of uh, water or whatever you're pulling the hydrogen out of it's just it's too expensive and it and it has emissions in the process right so if we're going to go to a clean future hydrogen is the clean future but we have to make the hydrogen clean first but it's going to be another 20 years before we can get that to mass market like you said southern california has like a dozen hydrogen stations Mm -hmm. that's that's not big enough to actually have volume sales of hydrogen vehicles but um, a fuel cell vehicle is the next step in an electric vehicle they are the same vehicle they have a fuel cell vehicle has a much smaller battery Mm -hmm. but it still has an electric running gear so as long as we develop that technology on the drivetrain side eventually we can replace the batteries and uh, all that weight and all that, all the chemicals and everything that go into a battery, we can get rid of those things into a fuel cell, eventually. But it's like I said, that's we're talking twenty forty and beyond.
0: Well, our good buddy Tim Estradal at Pickup Truck Plus S E V Talk uh, is convinced that hydrogen is the future of pickup trucks and towing. He uh, spent some time with the F-150 Lightning. He likes the concept but in execution for the people who actually need to tow, who need uh, essentially V8 or turbocharged V6 towing capability, uh, that hydrogen is the next step and EV can't even play. So, By, by your estimation, we're about 20 years off from full death
1: of Gas for at least the workhorses of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you ever tow anything, you know a diesel is fantastic. Right. Uh, the the torque available in a diesel, the 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 ability to put in all the fuel that I need to drive four hundred miles, three or four hundred miles, and I can fuel it up in under ten minutes. You can't do that with a battery. You know, you right. I can get a couple hundred miles in half an hour, right? But I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get the range to to long haul carry goods right in a electric vehicle quickly and hydrogen is the way to do that if i can put hydrogen into my vehicle at about the same time it takes me to fill the diesel that's a great step forward from uh from taking you know a couple of hours to get a full charge of of batteries yeah. to long haul a, a, a semi Well, we've talked a lot about what you foresee and what I foresee and
0: kind of the writing on the wall for the future, but uh, from a personal perspective, what excites you in the industry now? I know, as you mentioned coming on, you look six to eight years in the future, but what excites you personally
1: now in
0: the automotive industry?
1: I'm looking forward to whatever comes next, whatever somebody decides is that radical new thing. Uh, you know, when we had uh, w- when you had the Mustang 60 years ago, mm-hmm. when you had the minivan 40 years ago, you had the you know modern crossovers, all these different steps forward in in design and finding a new niche to get into. I love that. I, I love when somebody actually d- goes outside the box and says, "Look, here's a new way to transport your people and your goods." Um, I I'm always looking forward to what the stylists and what the engineers have have on their drawing boards. and uh, and finding out what the next thing is. And everybody's exploring to Mm -hmm. find out what that big thing is because there's a lot of money riding on making that, being the first player in the minivan, in the pony car, in muscle cars, in whatever it was. And uh, uh, everybody's trying to hit that that big thing for the next thing. And I'm all excited to see what it is. Yeah, Cadillac has shown us, like, these transport
0: pods that are electrified using, again, GM's Ultium and and everything going on there. Uh, Hyundai, I hate to keep bringing them up, too, but Hyundai showed us last year at the LA Auto Show their 7 concept, which was basically a living room on wheels with a swiveling, quote-unquote, driver's seat that had a joystick instead of a steering wheel. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of... What could be, <laughs> but it to your point, yes, it will be ve- very interesting to see what actually sticks and, and what everybody clings to.
1: Uh, I'm excited. Electric, electric drive trains allow you to do a lot of those things you couldn't do before because right. before you had to have the engine up front, you had to have the transmission here, you had to mm-hmm. have the exhaust pipes, you had you had to design around a lot of hard points that you don't have anymore, mm-hmm. and. Having uh, smaller motors and batteries tucked into the floor and all these different things allows the engineers to go out on a limb and find a way to make the nose smaller or bigger, or, you know, but they're no longer limited by, by the engine, the gas tank, uh, the, all the, the hard points that you have to design around right. to have a gas powered vehicle. It, it's going to be very exciting that that gives the designers more freedom.
0: I'm intrigued by a small startup company called Canoe and what they are able to do. It's basically, I I see it as more the modern uh, Type 2 VW bus. Like, I think it is more on the nose with the VW bus thing than the ID Buzz from actual VW is. And I think we'll actually see those on the road here in America before we see the ID Buzz on the road, which is... Just the biggest travesty, I think the the uh, VW Beetle and the VW ID Buzz, as they're calling it, should have been like the first two Tesla competitors out on the market. And what VW was doing, dropping the ball there, yeah. is beyond me
1: (laughs) like like i said it it comes with an aura You Mm -hmm. you already know what a beetle is you already know what the what the transporter or the bus was you already know those things they're they're known things to american buyers and if you just take that dna and transform it into an electric vehicle suddenly you have half the marketing paid for you don't have to reintroduce the thing to to the public they already know what it is. Just like the Mustang, the Corvette and everything else. But uh, to your point on the canoe, we have a a product where we have a book where we track all the EV startups around the world. Mm -hmm. And we currently have no fewer than 150 EV startups that we're looking at that are either just starting production or have already gone out of production in some cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those are just the four wheeled highway speed passenger vehicles that uh, we're tracking. That doesn't include medium heavy trucks. That doesn't include three wheeled vehicles. That doesn't include two wheeled vehicles. We, we have, and doesn't include low speed vehicles, but there are so many of these companies starting out with a new idea like the canoe, mm-hmm. like uh, Arrival, like uh, we already mentioned Lucid, all these guys playing in this new white space that said, let's make an American Bentley and call it Lucid. Let's make a a a modern bus and call it the canoe. It's it's a great time to be in the industry, but it's it it's so fraught with uh, so many pitfalls that uh, uh, everybody can step in at a moment's notice. And I've got a list of dozens of companies that have already said this is too much for us. Yeah, Uh,
0: it it will be interesting to see, like, put this in a time capsule and see where we are twenty years from now and who's still standing, uh, who rose up from nowhere to surprise everyone and just kind of where the industry has gone and is going. Yes, it is an absolute exciting time. It is a little bit sad. I I will always lament uh, the replacement of a good sounding V8. Uh, There's just... There's no replacement for displacement.
1: <laughs> and... My, my project car is an MG Midget. So, okay. you know, I, I'm, I've am i got a little tiny sports car with a tractor engine under the hood. And uh, and that is, that is the sound I'm used to. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we all have these things that are just tied to our memories. I can tell you a, a GM V8 uh, on startup without hesitation. I can tell you a Ford V8 on startup without hesitation. But
1: uh, a classic Chrysler starter—that's uh, my sound. Yeah, that the old my, my father was a police officer, and so we always had a, a, a unmarked police car in our driveway. And the sound of that starter mm-hmm. of a late '70s, early '80s Chrysler V8—it uh, it, it holds a place in my heart, and mm-hmm. I can I can still hear it in my head. Yep. But
0: you know, we joked before we started recording. My son, uh, four years old, about to be five. You know, he drives uh, his quote-unquote electric Jeep and his Power Wheels or whatever off-brand it is. He He's not going to know any different. He, that That is normal for him and will be the norm by the time he turns 16. Granted, his gearhead dad will uh, introduce him to all the good things of yore. But yeah. his generation knows no different. I mean, I grew up, Power Wheels were a thing, but... Then you got gas powered and it made vroom noises and went a whole lot faster. <laughs> but it's just gonna evolve for him. And like Harry knows one pedal driving because that's all there is in that car. Uh, so it it's gonna be an interesting uh, evolution for that age group that knows n- nothing other. And you know, old fogies like you and I can lament and complain all we want, but you yeah. know, the march of time, uh moves forward and
1: he... my my son's a little older than yours and he's driving but when he got a when he got his license he wanted a stick shift. Oh. So, you know, just finding a, a a 16-year-old who wanted to actually drive stick was uh I'm I I did well as a father. How's that? Yeah.
0: Yes, you did. And <laughs> I you know, I I drive my daily is a 2013 Chevy Cruze Eco with a 6-speed manual just because like it got ridiculously good gas mileage and I needed it at the time I bought it. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to keep that thing living until he turns 16, just so he can learn how to drive a stick. And my wife can't even drive. She will learn in that car. I hold me to it. She will learn in that car. But or something better, who knows? Um, but there's just something about it. Granted, there's nothing exciting about that car, so I could leave it running, <laughs> walk off
1: yeah. with the doors in it, and no, nobody's gonna take it for multiple reasons. But yeah, no, since I turned 16, I I literally had 18 months where my daily driver wasn't a stick. Okay. And uh, and so I'm I'm on my I bought a new car with a stick shift seven years ago, and I fear that there won't be one to replace it, so uh, I yeah. may have to build my next car.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, when even the Corvette doesn't offer a stick anymore, you know, right, the writing right. is on the wall. And uh Camaro is probably going
1: away. There's No the, the worst sign was when <laughs> Porsche and Ferrari mm-hmm. got away from that. When when you have to buy an when you either have to or you're forced into buying uh an automatic Ferrari, mm-hmm. even if it's an F1 transmission, it still ha- does not have that pedal. Right. And uh I, I, that's, that was, that was the beginning of the end for me. I I drove an early nineties Diablo, which
0: was an experience unto itself and just, it's a ridiculous vehicle all all the way around, but the connection you have to it instantaneously by having to learn the three pedals and the weird dogleg five-speed gated transmission is, ah, there's... (laughs) A connection will never be formed like that in an EV. It's just, you get in it and you go, you can already do the best you can do in it by mashing
1: the pedal. Well, there's there's my problem with EVs Mm -hmm. is that I don't see enough uh character mm-hmm. in them i mean they're fantastic cars they're quick they're quiet they're smooth uh, you're you were talking we were talking about driving the lightning uh, i drove a lightning a few months ago and the thing that annoyed me most about the lightning was the loudest noise in it was my hand sliding across the steering wheel <laughs> you know the the engine sound the way it drives the way the transmission mm-hmm. shifts is all part of the character of the vehicle yeah. and when you take all those things away you're you're muting character of the vehicle. And so I I can't really tell you the difference between multiple EVs that I've driven that, you know, why does this one better? Um, It was, it was a 10th quicker. Right. That's why it was better. It had a little bit more room inside, but I can't tell you that I enjoyed driving one over the other. I will say
0: I have two EVs that really stick out to me, and they're both in the luxury space, and it's because they're in the luxury space, and that's the Genesis GV60. Loved that thing. Would buy one now if I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one I had very recently in the uh, Mercedes-Benz EQS SUV. Uh, just, I, I feel EVs and luxury pair very well together, because it's everything Absolutely. a luxury vehicle should be, a quiet, smooth, effortless to drive. And both of those, especially the Mercedes, coddled you in a way that only a luxury brand could.
1: So yeah, I, I have I have two similar examples. I the first time I drove a Model S uh, mm. ten years ago, it it was such a, a revelation because it was so different than everything else we had driven, mm. and and at the time. My boss and I were driving the vehicle and the, uh, the super seven or the uh, lotto number was like, you know, hundred million dollars at that point. And we just got out of the car and we looked at it. We need to win the lottery. We need this car. <laughs> right. And, uh, it was just such a great car. But the other one that, that I, I drove that was that way was the Genesis, uh, G70 mm-hmm. electric. Mm-hmm. And when I drove that, I'm like, this is what an electric vehicle should be. It is everything that a luxury car should be. It's quiet. It's smooth. The power's there when you want it. Mm-hmm. And it, and it. was it was so silent inside that's what luxury buyers want and if i I, if i were a luxury buyer it'd be a luxury performance buyer it would be Mm -hmm. more of the the high-end bmws or the mercedes it would not be the coddle yourself real quiet uh massage seats all that stuff i want i want the performance of the vehicle and that makes it not for me but i could see the core luxury Mm -hmm. buyer loving like you said, the the high end luxury uh, electrics, uh, the, definitely the Lucids of the world, the Genesis one mm-hmm. was spectacular when I drove it. Like this, this is the buyer fits this perfectly.
0: Well, uh, for me, this will come as no surprise to anyone listening. There's a lot of old oil money here in East Texas, and there's a lot of money here in East Texas. But talking to my friends at our local Mercedes-Benz dealership, they're having trouble turning anything with the EQ badge on it because the infrastructure's just not there. So the cars may be great, but there's still a giant barrier to entry in the infrastructure when really you don't need, (laughs) like if it's your commuter vehicle, just plug it in at home when you get home. That's all you need. But it's just crazy. Some of the things that would stop people from buying now, I mean, they've got At least four EQ models just sitting on their lot while they're, uh, they've had two SL roadsters flip just like that. And I I don't know. I, I feel, like I said earlier, that electric buyers should be the go to buyer for an electric vehicle, but there's
1: still something holding those people back. As long as you're not hauling large amounts of stuff and going long distances, an electric vehicle should be your choice. I mean, if you're, if you have a charger at home, and you don't drive more than 150 miles in a day, you should be fine. Yep. If you drive more than 150 miles a day, your office should have an electric plug for you to plug in. And, yep. and that, that should be one of the perks of working wherever you work is that you should be able to plug in here, go to work, have a full charge, go home.
0: I I found it interesting with my 70 plus year old parents started talking about the idea of an EV being their next vehicle. And I'm like, you absolutely should. It, it just, it works. Uh, I, but i i don't think they will give into it they're still having a hard time my dad especially trying to swallow the hybrid pill much less full ev so we'll we'll see where that goes they've got nothing but uh time as they look for their next vehicle but uh it, it's interesting to watch their buying process i, I Definitely like an interesting time to be in the industry yep and i spent like I said, uh, and I've told many times here on the podcast over 11 years in the grocery industry as an analyst and the decision tree uh, that customers go through for different products is wildly different. While price may be the leading decider on one type of product, uh, quality might be another or quantity might be another. So when it comes to vehicle buying, just watching everybody's decision tree is so interesting to me. And that is somewhere where I could absolutely get lost in the numbers and uh, seeing the decision tree for EVs, for SUVs, for uh, three-row SUVs versus two-row SUVs versus sports cars. versus. I, yeah, uh, I could nerd out over that forever.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we, we, we produce a, a couple newsletters that we, we put out all the time on the industry and, and the people who like you geek out on the numbers, just love our analysis of, of whatever it is. And I enjoy coming up with, uh, we do a special report every month and I I get free reign to come up with whatever I see in the industry that's mm-hmm. going on and write something on that one. So uh, our, of course our next issue will be how did 22 wrap up and what we're we looking forward to in 23 and beyond. But in the past, you know, we've done uh, outlines of we did one on Vinfast. Mm-hmm. we do- we did one on Scout. Uh, the, all these different companies that are just coming to the market that people want to know about and why are they important to you? Why why do you care? And just digging into the numbers to figure out why anyone should care about Scout yeah. is uh, is very interesting to 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 bring to to the front and tell somebody else.
0: Uh, I'm very interested in Scout and I'm sad that it's here at the end of the episode that uh, we're even mentioning their name because (laughs) there's so much potential there. But again, I I feel like VW got so engrossed in and uh, it's their fault, their emission scandal that uh, they're they're quite a ways behind where they should be as one of the biggest players in the market. So yeah, Yeah. Scout is definitely intriguing to me to have a brand focused on off-roading, hopefully um, with
1: SUVs and in the electric space, it's everything. This um... whole story goes full circle. When you go to back to Scout, you're still mm-hmm. talking about Corvette. You're still mm-hmm. talking about the aura that comes with the name. And yeah. I think the problem, the potential problem is that not enough people remember what Scout is, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, Bronco was the same way. These They're playing on the, the, the memories of the original Bronco that sold I think two hundred thousand units over its ten-year lifespan. Mm-hmm. I, there weren't enough people to buy them that they should be a hit today. But that Ford catered to the right market and and brought out the right product, and it, and they're doing fantastic. I, I swear that in the first year and a half, they sold more of the new Bronco than they did of the first generation completely. Yeah. So I mean, they did a very good job. Yeah, and I could go
0: on forever about how uh, misnamed the Blazer is. Uh, I think the Blazer EV should have been the Nomad, and that would have been an almost instant hit. Uh, And, you know, bring in Tim Allen to help uh, promote the dang thing. And, yeah, there's just... Uh, Anyway, anyway, (laughs) let's pivot now into a segment I like to call random misfire. And uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about EVs and the random misfire nomenclature (laughs) may not hold up much longer, but we'll we'll see how it goes. But I've got a list of 20-ish questions. I will pick eight because, as I mentioned earlier, eight cylinders should be under the hood (laughs) of a proper performance (laughs) vehicle Man, this episode is really dated, this segment, but (laughs) um, they're this or that, fun questions, just to kind of learn you a little bit more based on what I've learned about you so far. And we'll just kind of end with a chuckle here. And uh, oh my goodness, I've got to start off with this one. I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, do you name your vehicles?
1: I I have trouble naming the vehicle. I I have an affinity towards my vehicles, Mm -hmm. but I just... I really haven't been able to put a personality on the vehicle. I love them more than anything else I own, mm-hmm. but I, I just never, I've never called this one Stella. Yeah. You know, I just can't say that's the name of, of her. Yeah. And, and to your point about
0: losing a little bit of personality with EVs, I, I only foresee that becoming more of a problem with electric vehicles uh, based on the way things are going.
1: The other way around, it could be that, you know, with the electronics that come in the vehicle, it has more of a personality to the person inside it, and you may actually converse with your vehicle and name her or him.
0: Yes, uh, I will say, trying to do what I do while driving the Mercedes EQS, I had to catch myself in how many times or how I said Mercedes, because the trigger word is, hey, Mercedes – and uh, she butted in a few times
1: during the review. Uh, you, you never realize how close Lexus is to uh, a name of a particular mm-hmm. uh, uh, device mm-hmm. until you're walking around talking about cars, and it starts going off and, and trying to answer your questions. Lucky for me, uh, I'm in
0: well embedded in the Apple ecosystem, and until Apple unveils this car that has been rumored for over a decade, um, i have no worries triggering any of my devices talking to or about cars huh let's see here oh there's so many good ones that um mm, mm. uh do, 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 do. off-road or on-road what is your preference uh,
1: i have i have been because i've been doing this for so long that i have been uh, allowed the chance to drive some great off-road vehicles i went to jeep 101 20 years ago I, I got a lot of training off road, but uh, I'm a racer at heart. I've I've autocrossed for years. Uh, I've tra- taught my son how to autocross, and so now he go karts. Nice. Uh, it's it's definitely on road. Okay,
0: okay. It's one of those things. You were wanting to win the lotto to buy a Tesla. I want to win the lotto to build my own on road off road motor park where i i don't have to choose it's like what car do i want what do i what experience do i want right now and hop in it and go so
1: no no, no. I, i'm building a, a track in my backyard to to do uh 100 miles an hour around the the property yeah so right. it's gonna be on road
0: okay okay uh, lucky for me i i do have a very good off-road park within an hour's drive it's finding a place to really stretch the legs of these powerful EVs that uh, I, I've had a, a little bit of a trouble with. I've got um, Eagles Canyon Raceway about three hours from me, but that's just a little bit too far. <laughs> uh, oh, here's a good one, especially in on the analyst uh, side of things. Do you prefer color or grayscale for your
1: paint color of your vehicles? I there are some spectacular colors out there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, dealers don't carry them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I see them, I'm like, look at that car. But when I buy one, it ends up being whatever they have on the lot. So my car is a deep charcoal gray. Yeah. My previous car was a like a robin's egg blue. Okay. And I got jealous because the same car was available in this fantastic deeper blue. And every time I saw one, I'm like, that's the color I wanted. But I, I a really good color. Is is fantastic on a car, and uh, uh, grayscale is actually the worst to keep clean. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I've had white, I've had black; they are terrible. It's is it a bit of a
0: chicken and the egg situation here because the number one colors are grayscale on the market, with red and blue followed right behind. But look at Tesla; that's all they offer. You can actually order them, but they that's all they offer. Whereas Manufacturers like Genesis have that spectacular Sao Paulo lime, but to your point, dealers don't have them on the lot. So if they're not on the lot, you're not buying them.
1: I, I, De- dealers are afraid of
0: risk. Yeah. And so and having one offer for... of the
1: regular grayscale is risky to them. Just like they they say you know stick shifts are a risk, mm-hmm. but when you see a stick shift on a used car lot, it sells immediately. Right. So. Well. <laughs> We've been trained
0: over the past two, three years now to expect to wait for a vehicle. So, you know, we've got Ford transitioning to online ordering for their EVs, at least. We've got more or less a shift in the buying procedure and processes. Do we start to see more color because people are available to and willing to sit and wait now because they're going to have to wait anyway? Might as well get the color they want.
1: Yeah, I would, I would hope that would be a benefit of the, the last two years. The The biggest problem is that some of the best colors are extra cost options. Mm, yeah. So for my Mazda to get the, the red that they always advertise, so red I think red it was so a $500 red. option just for that color.
0: Well, yeah, again, going back to the Escalade video that ha- has dropped this week, $1,300 red paint job on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I I, I know... That was the number one comment I got from pretty much everyone was how beautiful that red paint color was. Thirteen hundred dollars? Are you kidding me? It's red paint. <laughs> like
1: the, the the marketers know where they have you. <sighs>
0: yeah, that mm, that one really that one got me. All right, so you said you like to race. Uh, what what is more appealing to you? And I really already know the answer here: zero to sixty or a track. Uh, it's got a
1: handle, it, it, you know, I, 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 getting to zero to 60 in four seconds is not as big a deal to me as being able to pull, you know, nine tenths of a G or a G in a corner. I, I, I want it to be able to stick to the road, go around the cones, take the corners. Mm-hmm. That's what I want.
0: All right. Burnouts or donuts. <sighs> <laughs>
1: I'm cheap, and I don't like seeing my tires go up in smoke, (laughs) so I'm not a fan of either.
0: (laughs) I'm right there with you. I had a Camaro
1: SS for a year, and uh, one of the
0: reasons was uh, the financial position that just buying the rear tires put me in. Uh, I was able to buy all four from a Chevy Cruze, which replaced it for the price of 2 Rears on on my Camaro, so yes, I, I totally feel you I, on that one.
1: I'm I'm a member of an organization where every year they would have a solemn race among members, and the winner got a gift certificate for a for for four tires, <laughs> and the same person won it every year. And the first year he did not compete, I won. Okay, and so I had my gift certificate, and he came up to me right after. And goes, it's a gift certificate and it doesn't have an expiration date. So wait till you need expensive tires. I said, great, thank you very much. And my tires from then on cost me like less than $100 a piece. Mm -hmm. They were, were, and my new car, they were two something a piece. Mm -hmm. like, gift certificate is coming out. That's it, I'm getting good tires for my car. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Let's see here. I've got
0: one, two, three, four, five. So we got three left. Most exciting
1: car on the market today for you, in your opinion? Oh, I, you know, I I like, I'm an automotive history buff. So when you talk about things like uh, the revivals of these old brands, that always intrigues me. But I don't know that I, as much as I like Bugatti, I don't know that I would want a Bugatti. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just too many shortcomings in that. But for me, I, I like I like the uh, the the visceral feel of of something like a Jaguar. Okay. Uh, it, it's it, the vehicle itself is exciting to me, but it's not a Mercedes. It's not a BMW. It's not something you see every day. And so when people say it, I go, "That's a good looking car," and I don't see that every day. That that's the kind of thing that I really like. Okay. Hand wash or drive through car wash? I, oh, again, you get me over a barrel here, because because I'm. I'm lazy and cheap. <laughs> so the, the two go against each other. I want to wash my car because it's better for the car. I want to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and it's cheaper. But it's so convenient to take it down to the car wash and drop it. I, I would rather hand wash. Yeah, I, I would too. Hand washing.
0: I, my 07 Silverado saved my life. I have an old, old episode about that. Um, but yes, uh, laziness time now especially with a four-year-old in the house uh saying i'm gonna go spend an hour hand washing a vehicle just doesn't quite fit the way it did when i was you know 20 years old so
1: and, and there was something entertaining when you have a little kid and you go through the car wash the automatic car wash mm-hmm. and you just put him in there and they watch all the colors and all the soap and everything it's entertaining for 10 minutes yes
0: yes and it's just something to do where he's still strapped into his five-point hardness so <laughs> i'm <Exactly>. good yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I've got one left. One left. Uh, You're going to make it hard for me here. I'm going to do – we'll do this one. Favorite car-related movie.
1: Car-related movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, Not only am I a fan of cars and car movies, Mm -hmm. but I'm a fan of bad movies. Oh, okay. So – uh, we were my my wife and I were sitting around and I was looking for a movie to stream and I'm always searching for something bizarre, and I found Corvette Summer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Corvette Summer is a terrible movie with terrible acting, but it's fun for an hour and a half, so, so there's that one. And uh, uh, I I think one of my favorite bad car movies is The Wraith, okay, with Charlie Sheen, and uh, I, my my the, all the the Little automotive things in this thing that are absolutely terrible and they're funny because they're terrible. But the best part about it was actually not in the movie. Uh, I think it was Motor Trend did a story about the movie and the car in the movie. The car in the movie was a, a Dodge that had been built for the PPG racing, it was a pace car for PPG, and it so it was this mid-engined, very sleek car. And uh, they the Motor Trend article, the subheading was proof that good guys drive Dodges. (laughs) And so it was, that, that car has always stuck with me, but the movie, it's a terrible movie, but it's, it's a, it's a great for, for gearhead movie.
0: Oh, I have to go check those two out. That's one of the fun parts about. You haven't
1: seen Corvette summer?
0: I have not. I I figured that the modern need for speed was, is bad as cheesy automotive uh, viewing it could get so i I will definitely have to get it
1: watch it and compare for sure after you watch it the the main car in the car the movie is a mid-70s corvette that's right hand drive Mm. and they actually built the car and it still exists you can find it online but when you find it online look for the detail pictures because they did the cheapest right hand drive swap on this car it literally has a a steering column that goes through the firewall and a chain drive to the original drive the steering shaft down the other side of the engine it is the funniest thing to see in 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 pictures oh my goodness
0: well uh sam I I do thank you. We could talk for hours more about all things automotive, but I thank you so much for joining with me. I know you said a lot of what you do, your business is in business to business uh, reporting, but where could people find you? Where uh, could we learn more about you or at least kind of keep up with your escapades?
1: Yeah. If if you're interested in the automotive industry, I'm active on LinkedIn and uh, i have a a space on twitter so it's my name sam fiorani in both cases uh but if you like uh, automotive history i sit on the board of the boyertown museum of historic vehicles in boyertown pennsylvania so if you find yourself driving around eastern pennsylvania please stop by the museum it's a museum full of cars built in pennsylvania and we have a subset of electric vehicles that happen to be in that going back over 100 years Uh, and and if you're in a newsstand a uh, collectible automobile every so often runs my articles. All
0: right. Well, I, I again, thank you so much. I will put links to your Twitter and your LinkedIn down in the show notes uh, for those that are interested. But thank you so very much. And you have a wonderful and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thanks for talking to me. Huge thanks to Sam for joining me. I, so much more I wanted to talk about this week. I don't, I don't know if you could tell that. Um, electric vehicles do excite me. Uh, They excite me for reasons beyond just the fact that they're ridiculously fast right out of the gate. You know, I'm an analyst by trade, by nature, and just seeing the shift and, you know, seeing companies rise above other companies and old brands being resurrected in Scout and sub-brands being created around Corvette and Mustang and maybe Camaro and Escalade and all that just really excites me and i hope it excites you that that's what this podcast is about to dream and think and anticipate i don't know just be excited about all things automotive and so i i really do thank sam for his insight and his time just shooting the breeze talking the future things in the automotive industry with me here right before christmas i i Thank you so much for listening and for following along with us this year. So excited to see what the future holds for GT Garage Shock. You know where to find us, gtgaragetalk.com. And until next time, bye.